Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative, a podcast that challenges what it means to be a high performer. Here are your hosts, Lauren Williams and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Cody Ohm joins the show to talk about his mental health journey, which was a long and hard struggle, and he was basically relentless in order to find the treatment that worked for him. Cody also talks about how he got into high-performance coaching, and it's an incredible story, so definitely check this one out. For everything that Lauren, I, and Cody are doing, both from a high-performance athletic point of view, a mental health point of view, a training or speaking point of view, head over to EliteHighPerformance.com and check all that stuff out. We'd really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. And here's the interview with Cody O. We are back. Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, we have our Wisconsin Badger, our first overall draft pick, Lauren Williams. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm rolling full steam ahead today. Like you last time, I was up quarter to five this morning hitting the gym as soon as it opened at six. Then I had a uh, presentation that I delivered and we recorded a video. Now we're on a podcast and then I got another talk later today. So we're rolling full steam today. How about you? Love to hear it. No, I am. I actually have a little bit of a lighter day, which is good because the rest of my week is going to be absolutely bonkers. So we're resting up a little bit to prepare for the controlled chaos that's coming. (laughs) And we always talk about rest here as high performers. Now, someone who didn't take a lot of rest went on an 80 kilometer, was it kilometer or mile? I think it was kilometer hike this weekend and was hitting the CrossFit gym this morning. Cody Ohm is with us today. Cody, how are you? I'm uh, I'm recovering, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. And why don't you talk a little bit about that? Like what inspired you to take on a challenge like that? Um, I don't know if it really, in- anything really inspired me. My buddy picked up the phone. He's an endurance athlete and he called me last Tuesday. He's like, Hey, you want to do a hike in Clarny? I said, absolutely. It sounds like a great time. He goes, Oh, by the way, it's 80 clicks. <laughs> I was like, well, I already said yes. So I'm coming now. And, uh, I knew it would be a challenge. I had no idea it would be that crazy. Um, so yeah, basically like, like you said, it was 80, 80 kilometers, uh, had a 40 pound bag on my back, had no idea about the elevation. There is about 5,000 uh, meters of elevation and not one step of smooth sailing. It was all rocks and roots. And, you know, Saturday morning we started, we hit the trail at 4 a.m., didn't get in until 1030 at night, set up camp, took us 15 minutes. Conveniently, it started raining, <laughs> got, got about two hours of sleep. I was soaking wet, got up again and and, and hiked the rest of it out. So uh, it was an absolute battle, but uh, kind of reinforced a couple important lessons that I try to live by. And um, it was a hell of, a hell of an accomplishment. I feel pretty good on the other side of it. But you now there's a couple of times where I was whimpering pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Another sicko uh, like us, right? And actually, it's funny. 
uh, Lauren, when when Cody was talking about it, the first time we heard the story, I was like, you know, next time Max is back, you should get him out there because I'm sure he would love this. My gosh. You know, I thought that's exactly what I thought because I'm sitting here going, like part of me would absolutely love to do that kind of stuff. Then the other part of me is like subconsciously just red lights flashing, don't do it, stop while you're ahead. It, but, sounds like um, a good, it sounds like a good idea until you start doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like you posted a picture of it, like a bunch of different pictures. And one of them was the sign that you saw at the beginning of it. That was like, attention, if you go this way, you're in it for 70, whatever, 80 kilometers. Seven to 10 days. Seven, to, Yeah. And you did it in two? Uh, day and a half. What? Yeah, okay, so number one, I was trying to do that math in my head going like, okay. And then if I was doing that, I think I would have seen that sign and just gone, sorry, what? (laughs) And my heart rate would have gone through the roof. Yeah, I was a little bit nervous. And like, there was a small part of me, like, like halfway into the first day, I was like, okay, I can either turn around now and go back. And I'm not going to have a story. I can go back and chill and I'll still get a good workout in here. This would be fantastic. Or you know what? I'm halfway. I might as well keep going. Mm -hmm. So the first day was 51 clicks and that halfway point was about 24 kilometers in. And I'm really glad I did it. But, you know, there were so many parts of that trip. I just wanted to give up. And and the parts where you want to give up, it's where you're thinking about how much longer you have to go. And like 25 kilometers doesn't sound that long. But when you're hiking and the trains like that, like a kilometer is a long time. Mm-hmm. And then plus you've got 40 pounds on your back and you're trying to crush calories because if you don't, like you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of moving parts where I learned a lot in terms of like just like endurance events in general, in terms of like the hydration and nutrition component. And then like mentally too, it just really put a lot of the the learning and a lot of the coaching that we do to to a test. Um, you know, anytime you catch yourself thinking too far ahead, you really got to bring yourself back and just focus on what's most important right now. And that's just putting one foot in in front of the other and realizing that you're okay while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that it reinforced two kind of general rules that you like to live by. What were those two rules? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of just what I said there, like, Hey, like what, just focusing on the most important task at hand. So instead of thinking about, you know, everything in front of you and all the daunting, you know, tasks or to do's, um, you know, that are on your calendar or in front of you or whatever, it's just reverting your focus back to that present moment and then reminding yourself what's most important right now. And, you know, you can't control what's 10 kilometers in front of you. You know, there are so many times I'd come around a corner and just see a huge rock face and be like, fuck, but, (laughs) but, but at the same time too, then your focus just shifts from, you know, getting to the campsite to climbing up this hill. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was just a matter of doing that and and putting one foot in front of the other. And yeah. And I mean, too, like the other kind of rule that it kind of reinforced is just like two other ones, really like the more, the more pain and the struggle that you can deal with, like the bigger, the the sense of accomplishment. So like, it makes like our work stuff, it makes my day to day look like small potatoes. So like issue comes up now, it's just like, Oh, like whatever. And then the other thing too, is just like the power of community and the power of, of good people. Like there's no way in hell I would have been able to do that on my own, but being with three other people who are in a similar boat to me, but we're all driven to accomplish it. We all picked each other up when we started to fall back a bit. So, um, yeah, that was a couple of really good reminders and, uh, really put, uh, put me to the test. 
I love that. It's actually funny because literally yesterday I I went to ketamine and something that stuck with me for about half the session was there is no past, there is no future, there is only the gift of now. Mm -hmm. And I think for someone who struggles or has has struggled as much as I have with both anxiety and depression, which is very much anxiety is future focused and depression is past focused. It's incredibly hard. And I've always felt it hard to get yourself into that moment and get yourself out of thinking. Mm -hmm. But if you can do it, you can really start to appreciate what now truly is. Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. And I mean, yeah, like I said, there's so many times where I was thinking about like what was on the other side of this hill or like what would come up later and like how much I was hurting now. And I was like, shit, you know, I still have 25 or 30 clicks left of this hike today. Um, but at the same time too, those thoughts aren't helpful. So it's just like bringing my focus back to the present moment, realizing that I'm okay right now. Yeah, sure. My feet hurt, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to be fine. Right. And then action over everything. Like instead of sitting there and thinking about the situation, it's just a matter of putting one foot in front of the other. And I think it's a really good metaphor for business or sport or, or anything that you're trying to accomplish. Like it's action over everything. And when you're focused on like the task at hand, you're not worried about the past or the future, which uh, in general are the things that can really trip you up. So, Cody, for, for everyone, I mean, most people are going to be new to you and your story. Do you want to just tell us, like, about yourself? Like, where did you come from? And then maybe tell us a little bit about your mental health struggles and then how you've become a high-performance coach. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll try to make a really long story somewhat short. Um, so you guys kind of know, like, I grew up in a small town, uh, played every sport under the sun. As I got older, hockey took a bit of a priority. Um, I didn't end up playing professionally, but I did play AAA and did the whole junior hockey thing. And during that time, I, I had a few concussions, actually not a few, several. Um, and, you know, I never really thought much of them at the time. Uh, you know, I was only out of the lineup for maybe two to four weeks max. And uh, yeah, just, just kept going. But uh, around third year university, so my last year junior, I was like 21 years old, started to notice the signs and symptoms of uh, depression and anxiety. And at the time, I had no idea what those things were. All I knew was I was feeling like shit. I didn't want to go to class, wasn't driven, wasn't motivated, couldn't sleep. And, you know, within a few few months of starting to feel that way, I found myself quitting school, quitting hockey, basically drinking every day. And I was just like in a complete rut. And I didn't know what to do about it. You know, I kind of just painted on, you know, a smile and, and you know, said that everything's all right and just made excuses. But Deep down, I knew something was wrong, and eventually, too, my parents caught on, and with their help, um, they pulled me out of my situation at school and or at my house at uh, in Guelph, and we started looking for answers. Um, so at the time, like I said, the stuff was new, so we didn't really know where to start. But naturally, the first stop was the family doctor. Uh, so I kind of went in there and you know unpacked how I was feeling to the best of my ability, and you know without even blinking an eye, he just kind of looked at me as like, oh, you've got uh, depression. There's a chemical imbalance in your brain. I'm going to give you this pill to solve all your problems so you know my parents I love that I, one. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah so and and you know no questions at all in terms of what what happened before what my lifestyle was at but at the same time too i'm not going to speak poorly about 
any doctor, any specific thing, whatever. Um, anyway, so left that, uh, that doctor's visit with, uh, prescription and, and high hopes. And, you know, my parents and I were both really excited that this thing was going to solve all my problems. And, uh, it didn't, that was the start of three and a half years, seeing 30 plus medical professionals trying to find an answer. Um, during that time, I saw multiple family doctors. I saw naturopaths, I saw therapists, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, saw a hypnotist at one point. Um, was literally willing to try anything or see anyone that could potentially help me out. Um, and I was, I was a mess. Like I was downtown Toronto at the, the mental health hospital multiple times, both inpatient and outpatient. Um, but about two years into that whole debacle, I ended up getting some blood work done, like a full panel. Like I had blood work done before, but this time I got a full panel of it done. And uh, to my surprise, my testosterone level came back at zero. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit concerned. I was like, you know, that's, that's not normal. But my doctor at the time went, oh, don't worry about it, man. Like, you're a healthy guy. It, it's just a mistake. And uh, my parents and I were like, no, like, that's kind of a red flag. Let's at least test it again. And, you know, we did. And sure enough, the same result came back. So, you know, this time doctors like, hey, there's a problem here. I'm going to refer you to an endocrinologist. Um, so I waited six months to get in to see the first guy. Uh, walked into his office, had no idea what to expect. And uh, he took one look at me and he said he wasn't going to help. Uh, he basically accused me of taking steroids because of my physical appearance um, and assumed that that was the, the reason my natural production was shut off. Um, I had no idea, but apparently when you inject synthetic hormones in your body, your natural or your brain and your, your body go, oh, like I have this hormone in my body now. Now I don't need to produce it. So that's what he thought I was doing, thought I was juicing. Um, but meanwhile, I just worked out and played sports my whole life. Uh, so left there, I uh, didn't get an answer, ended up seeing two more endocrinologists before I found uh, Dr. Comer uh, out of Burlington. And at this point, like, you know, I was, I was hopeless. Like I walked into his office and, um, you know, I had no expectation of what was going to happen there. But um, like I said, I walked in, I was wearing a own sound Gray's jacket and a Chicago Blackhawks hat. And uh, he took one look at me. He's like, you play sports? And I was like, yeah, like, why are you asking me this, man? But yeah, I played, I played sports. He's like, what'd you play? I was like, hockey. He's like, how many concussions have you had? I was like, I don't know, at least three that I was diagnosed and probably played through a few more. And he goes, okay, I think I know the answer. So between my blood work and a couple of scans, uh, basically Comer determined that all the concussions I had playing hockey led to inflammation in my brain, which severed uh, the nerves and, and led to the dysfunction of my pituitary, which is the reason my hormone production and my testosterone level was zero. Uh, so Comer explained how, you know, low T levels or no T levels in my case leads to all the stuff that I was experiencing, explained the science behind it, and then put me on hormone replacement. So I left his office with a prescription, started injections that day. And uh, within a month, it was a night and day difference. I was completely, pretty much completely better. Uh, within three months, I was off all medication uh, and it was incredible. Like I literally had my, my life back. I was going back to school. My dad was just starting a company. I, I decided to join forces with him. Um, but yeah, in terms of how I got into all of this, uh, I ended up during that whole three and a half, four years of, of going through the shit, uh, I actually had four buddies I played hockey with that took their own lives. So I was like, well, shit, you know, I don't know if exactly, if they went through exactly what I did, but I thought the pressure experience like would potentially help somebody else. So I packaged that whole four year experience into this long winded Facebook post, scared shitless, but I threw it out to the world and you know, to my surprise, it got a lot of attention. It had like 4,000 shares in the first week. And, you know, I kept getting lags week over week. And, and from that, I had thousands of athletes and 
and people from all over the world reaching out from a concussion and mental health perspective. So that was hands down one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And uh, I always knew I wanted to do something with it. Uh, but this whole coaching, whole mental health concussion project kind of sat on the back burner as I got involved with my dad and his business and, and built an e-commerce company. Um, so yeah, long story short there, I sold purses on the internet for three and a half years. <laughs> um, we can get into that, but it, that's not the topic of discussion. Uh, but basically when we exited it about three years ago now, I was like, okay, I want to pick this ball back up and, and roll with it. So I kind of resurfaced my story, created this brand. I called it Head First. And it was essentially the initial motive of it was just to create a community of athletes that they could come on and, and kind of share their story and um, kind of raise awareness, but also create a bit of a conversation. You know, there's a lot of uh, awareness initiatives out there, but I kind of feel that awareness alone isn't really enough. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to create a platform that uh, drove that awareness, but also empowered people to get better. And uh, yeah, soon, soon enough, again, I had a ton of people messaging me for help. Uh, I was sitting there in my DMs for three or four hours a day, just trying to get back to everybody. And uh, eventually I ended up meeting a guy and he's like, dude, I love what you're doing, but like, you're providing a lot of value. Like you should, you should create some sort of a program and, and, and you know, maybe charge a little bit for it. Like you're providing a lot of help for these people. And um, you know, it's worth, it's worth, you know, maybe creating a business around it. So at the time I thought that was a good idea. Uh, basically created this group mental health, mental performance program out of my ass, uh, ran about 50 people through it. And, and it was amazing. I love doing it. Um, but you know, I, I finished that and I, I finished three rounds of it and I was kind of like, well, shit, I guess I'm a coach now. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into it. And then in terms of like where I'm at now, um, on the other side of running that head to heart program, I was like, okay, like if I'm going to coach people, I should probably get some formal training. So, um, somehow I, for, or I, we actually connected through, uh, your friend, Annie Lauren. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, somehow I, I stumbled across Lauren on Instagram saw that she was like a high performance coach for hockey players. And I was like, Hey, that's kind of what I want to do. So I just like send her a dart. I was like, or DM and uh, <laughs> sent her a DM. I was like, Hey, like, I love what you're doing. Uh, you're kind of doing what I want to do. I don't really know where to start. Do I need to go back to school? Do I take a course? Like, how do I get into this? And uh, that's how Susan or Lauren introduced me to Susan and, and elite and the certifications that you guys have. Um, so I did a few of those and, and now that I'm on the other side of that, uh, we've joined, we've joined forces. So that's kind of where I'm at, uh, now. So I just rambled for 10 minutes, but, uh, that's how I got into coaching. <laughs> it's a very purposeful ramble. Yeah. <laughs> now I think there's, there's so many, um, like amazing pieces to your story. And we've talked about this a lot. Um, and a lot of relatable points as well, right? Because on one hand, People who play contact sports know what it's like to have a concussion. I really don't know many, you know, hockey players who haven't either known somebody who's had one, had one themselves, or even tried to hide one, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, it's a very um, common thread to identify with people. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of it is this journey that you had in finding help. And the fact that it was like the exact opposite from a, I'm going to seek help and I got the help that I needed kind mm -hmm. of path, right? We kind of ping pong through different options. And luckily for you, you actually ended up getting to that place of like, hey, I finally found the help that I needed that worked. Um, but I mean, Rob and I have had so many conversations with people that they never found the help that they needed from the system, 
right? And it ended up being like, I stumbled on this on my own. Um, so I think that the fact that you're now taking all of that experience and applying it to the coaching world is unreal. And it's going to have such a great impact on so many different people. Yeah. I mean, that's been one of the most rewarding parts of it for sure. But yeah, like to your point with that, like it was not a linear path to recovery there. Like it was uh, an up and down battle. And honestly, without the help of my parents, like I don't know if I would have done it. Um, And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't have is that support. And that's something that we can provide as coaching, as coaches. Um, So a lot of like the, the coaching that we do is proactive and whether they're dealing with a clinical issue or not, we can help them overcome whatever adversity um, they're going through by asking them the right questions and giving them the tools and holding them accountable to keep moving forward. And usually if somebody gets into a coaching relationship, they've got a desire to change, but they also have this like intuitive feeling that they are going to get better. And that's the feeling that I had the entire time when I was going through my shit. I knew that something was wrong and I knew that I could like, I knew there was a better life on side on the other side of it, but I didn't know how to get there. And that was where my parents and the continuous like seeking of different doctors and specialists kind of came in. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because like, yeah, to be honest, I mean, I gave up on a lot of it pretty early, maybe, maybe after I think it was around, I would say like between five and 10 medications and seeing a couple therapists, I like gave up on it. Mm -hmm. Because of the fact that like, the medication made me worse for the most part. And then the therapist, like, there was just absolutely no relatability Mm -hmm. like the guy literally told me that like i wasn't depressed enough because i could go to work and and i thought like it was like so bizarre to me to be sitting in these rooms where it's like the other people can't get out of bed and like just because you can go to work and go to the gym it means that you're fine Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean where i see a a big issue is like the high functioning anxiety and and, and stuff like that right because anxiety can drive all these like perfectionistic behaviors that on the outside seem, you know, somewhat like as like people come off as like a high performer, but inside they're just fucking hurting so much. And I think the other piece is like the medication too. Like, you know, when you're not feeling good, it can be so easy to just like buy into a diagnosis and be like, okay, like I've got clinical anxiety or clinical depression without really asking yourself like any other like relevant questions in terms of like what happened in the past or like what you're doing right now from like a lifestyle perspective. And I feel like too, like so many people buy into that idea of slapping a label and, and saying that they're clinically um, depressed or whatever, because it's easier to do that than to actually do the work. So when sharing my story, I had so many people reach out, literally hundreds of people reaching out and without doing any research on their own would be like, I have exactly what you had. I'm depressed. I had a concussion. That's my issue. And I would always push back and encourage them to a go get blood work done <laughs> and, and then B also just like ask them some, some questions. Like, what are you doing from like a lifestyle perspective? Like what happened in your past that may be shaping um, your patterns of thinking and behaving right now? Uh, because a, a lot of the time I believe that people can pull themselves out of anxiety or depression by doing the work and it's not easy work and it takes time and it, it, there's no, you know, you can't just wave a magic wand and be better overnight. Like it's, it's continuous fucking work day in and day out but it can be done. And, and that's where um, I don't necessarily see, you know, obviously the, the Western medical system, like definitely has, you know, if I've got a broken leg, like I'm very grateful that there's procedures and people in place that can fix that. But from a mental health standpoint, I definitely think that there's some work to be done. And that's where I think the coaching and the therapy is so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. 
And and I think you're right, Cody. Like my therapist said to me, so she does trauma. Her specialty is in trauma. And we've talked a lot about trauma on the show. But she said to me basically about a, maybe I, when I started this new medication, she said, Rob, you're the first person that I've ever worked with that I wasn't able to make a dramatic shift in their day to day. And it was because there actually needed chemicals to change in my brain. Right. And, and I think that that's where I was at that point where I was like, I don't think any medication will work for me because I tried so many. And the only reason I tried another one was literally because my psychiatrist now, he's very data driven, very science backed guy. And mm-hmm. he ordered a genetic test, which I'm not sure how, how many years around, but it's been the best $500 I've ever spent. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I believe in medication too. Like all that to say, like what I just came off there, like I think medications, uh, and it, it can be amazing too. Um, and I definitely think it's, it's relevant and can help a lot of people. I just think people are, a lot of the time, people buy into the idea that it's going to solve their problems very quickly. And doctors just prescribe stuff without doing that genetic testing or blood work or, or, or any of the, the background work that's required to pick something that's going to be um, a proper solution. So, and, and the same thing with medication too, like it, it's a tool. Um, I mean, for the person using it, um, you know, a, a lot of it depends on like your relationship and your intention with it in the first place. So like if, if you, in, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go off on a tangent because I, I definitely could talk about this for a long time. But at the end of the day, I think medication can be a valuable tool. But at the same time, too, I think it's important for both the patient and the doctor to ask some relevant questions and do a little bit of homework first before just ju- jumping into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think that even in and of itself might be one of the barriers that keeps some of the high performing people away from medications and saying, like, hey, if this is an option, it makes me nervous because mm-hmm. we look at it as like, well, if someone's telling me that this is supposed to be the answer and it doesn't work, then what? Right. Mm-hmm. Then like, well, I must be like really messed up or I'm just beyond help. Mm-hmm. But I love this idea of if you're getting prescribed a medication, you have to know that it's only the start of the journey. And that there's still a lot of heavy lifting for you to do mentally, whether it's in conversation with a therapist or um, learning how to reframe some of those belief systems, which we help people do. Mm-hmm. There's like the medication is not the end of your journey. It's honestly the start of it. 100%. And, and even with the medication too, like for the, I'm sure for the medication to work effectively, you have to be giving your brain and body what it needs in the first place. So like, if you're taking medication, but you're sleeping like shit and you're eating processed shitty food and you're sitting on your ass and you're not moving your body and you're not practicing mindfulness and you're not proactively like working towards a goal that gets you excited, like it's pretty hard to, you know, rely on the medication alone to pull you out of whatever rut you're in. Yeah. I mean, I kind of look at it like, like what is the true root cause? Right. And, and I think, the medication, the, the, the benefits of the medication are it helps you for those people who can't get out of bed. It helps you get out of bed, mm-hmm. right? And, and it can boost your the chemicals in your brain to get you rolling. And then it's like, for me, therapy is so important. Or coaching, like coaching is, 
you know, like getting you goals and getting you aligned where the therapy is very much like healing your trauma and like on like my my therapist always says like pulling out the roots and replacing them with things that you need versus like the trauma that you felt. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I think is so important is like the root causes are like the trauma you've experienced in your life. And if you don't get rid of that, like the medication, once you go off of it, mm-hmm. like it's going to come back. And that's like, you know, and you're right. The deeper work sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, and the thing is like with trauma, like it doesn't have to be anything like quote unquote, like traumatic. It doesn't have to be like a big T trauma like going through the certifications and like learning from Susan and working with my therapist, a lot of the trauma that I experienced as a kid was just in sport. It was getting cut from the team or like having another kid move into my center and and steal the show. Right. And that alone solidified a belief system that I wasn't good enough. And from a young age, I started to compile proof and evidence that supported that belief system, which fueled a lot of the unhealthy perfectionistic behaviors that I still kind of exhibit today and, and still work through. So I think it's important for people to know that like a trauma doesn't have to be, you know, a death or anything like completely life altering. It can, it can just be little stuff that adds up over time hmm. and it's hard work. <laughs> it's not, fun. it's not necessarily fun to do. Yeah. And I think one of those, especially for athletes, like one of those traumatic things that can get reinforced is like, well, you like get grittier, like push through it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're feeling emotional and can't play, well, calm down. Don't be so emotional, right? And the more that those things get reinforced, the more you're told that whatever it is that you're feeling isn't valid and isn't important enough to handle or to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I just listened to this really interesting TED Talk with um, Victoria Garrick, who mm-hmm. played volleyball at USC and has become a really outspoken advocate for athlete mental health. And she was describing a situation where like she literally put her schedule up on a board for everybody to see. And like if you've like student athletes know, you just don't have spare time ever. Uh, You're including travel, you're including exams, studying, tutoring, all this kind of stuff. Like she literally put in blocks for her to just cry. And she's talking about how she had this like we know it just happens and she had this experience where um she went from like early morning lift to shoving breakfast in her face to showering to showing up at class with her hair soaked and she's having a horrible morning and then her professor goes like where's the assignment and she realized there that she missed it forgot to do it so her break for the day was gone because she had to make up the assignment showed up to practice and is like so overwhelmed and the only thought that was like going through her head was looking at her teammates saying well if they're doing this and they're also student athletes and they're fine then I have to be fine because that means that they're working harder than me Mm -hmm. and every time I hear that I just like it breaks my heart because I know that she's going through it. So many other athletes are going through it. I went through it. And it's just this consistent devaluation of our feelings mm-hmm. and the red flags that come up in our experience that, again, creates that trauma of saying, like, what you're feeling isn't valid. Mm-hmm. And that is trauma in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think 
that in it feeling of like not being good enough that fuels that like overdrive of work can be a blessing and a curse because like sometimes you do get the payoff right you make a team you have a good performance like whatever for me like with business like it translated from sport to business it was more money more this but at the same time too my mental health my social life my relationships my relationship with self went down the complete shitter and it wasn't worth kicking things into overdrive just to achieve something and what did work was taking a step back and working through that anxiety which is a an ongoing process doesn't just happen so i got a question for both of you like my therapist said to me on saturday she said like rob you give a pass to to polo because because of what it gave to you and it like gave you your feelings of inclusion and your success and all these other things like do you feel like you give a pass to hockey for because of what it's done for you or do you feel a different way about it i hold like in terms of giving a pass like resentment like not having any resentment is that kind of what you are referring to no i i think i think what she means is i never i never really talk about it in a negative way like it's all positive for me yeah i mean for me i'm kind of similar like i've never I've never bashed the sport or bat talk really talk negatively about my experiences. Like looking back, I probably would have done some things differently and, and wish that some, you know, coaching decisions and environments would have been a little bit different, but at the same time too, I learned a lot from it. And now being on the other side, there are so many things that I've taken away from sport, not only in terms of like lessons and uh, traits and qualities that I've picked up from it, but also like relationships that I still have today. And, uh, yeah, honestly, I don't think I'd be in the position that I am right now without without sports. So it's kind of hard for me to talk about it in a negative light. Although looking back, I wish that things could have been a little bit different, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to echo that. Um, and I'll take it maybe part of it a step further. And in, in so far to say like before, I never wanted to say anything bad about it because it gave me so many opportunities and it taught me so many important lessons but in getting into coaching and working with young athletes in this sense in the mental side and then also like actually physically coaching a very young team i've also adopted this idea of but it's not bad to share your experiences when things didn't help you and when things actually did the exact opposite of what you wanted them to because I agree with the idea that focusing on the negative stuff doesn't happen, like doesn't help anything. It puts you into a negative state. It doesn't help you perform better. But on the flip side of that, if we don't acknowledge it and don't deal with it, we can't learn from it. And in my sense, if I don't share that stuff that happened to me or that even I brought on myself as an athlete that I wish I'd changed, then I can't help somebody else avoid doing the same thing or getting caught in the same situations. So it's sharing the negative, but with a purpose. Mm -hmm. I'm not just sharing the shit that happened to say like, oh yeah, hockey was horrible for this. And my coaches were horrible because I did this. And like, who the hell thought this was a good idea? Mm -hmm. It's this happened. Here's how it affected me. And here's how I think I could have avoided it. 
mm-hmm. and here's how you can potentially avoid it in the future. Yeah, like looking back to, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done from like a culture perspective, mm-hmm. especially in, in in hockey specifically, and it starts from the the top down. I mean, even like thinking back to like my concussions and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't even know how many times I would not be fit to play, but I didn't feel comfortable sitting out. I didn't feel comfortable raising my hand because if I did that, A, I'd look like, you know, soft or whatever. And then B, I'd be jeopardizing my spot on the team. But at the same time too, me doing that would have been better long-term, not only for my own health, but for the team as well. Right. And that type of behavior wasn't encouraged. Mm -hmm. And then also, I think, especially in youth sport, you know, things are so black and white, you're either good or you're not. And I think, you know, the growth mindset for, for lack of a better term could really be drilled into the heads of young athletes at a younger age. And I think that's something that isn't talked about often, like progression over perfection and, you know, feedback, not failure. You know, if I had a coach drill that shit into me at five years old, you know, (laughs) I would have been a way better athlete than I turned out to be. And, you know, probably would have adopted a a lot more, um, you know, I would, (laughs) my my rate of growth would have been significantly better and and my mental health would have also been significantly better. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of the, one of those things, (laughs) no, it's true though. And, and one of those things that I actually just recently talked about, um, I shared like a, a series of things that I wish I could have told my younger self when I got to college. Um, and, oh, I saw that post, yeah. That yeah. Awesome. And when I got to school, I was like so excited, so excited because I had like in my mind, I had just landed at the top university for women's hockey in the NCAA. I had no idea how I really got there. So I was already guessed like second guessing my abilities and all that good stuff. But as soon as I got there, we got hammered in with this idea of like, this is a high performance environment, right? Because you're looking at the past success of the program and the last players who were there, like their names are literally all over the locker room in your stall. You can see who wore your number in the past. You're like, well, that's an Olympian. That's an Olympian. And not once did I ever get that kind of developmental um, advice from my coaches, right? It was never like, look, you're 17 years old. We do not expect you to be performing like a 21 year old. This is going to be a, difference like a huge adjustment from junior hockey to college take your time like figure it out as you go and if you have questions like we'll be there to help you I very much felt like I was walking into this and I was getting thrown into it and I needed to be perfect right from the get-go and taking that moving forward even with the 11 year olds I'm coaching I'm like guys this is your first year playing AAA hockey it's going to be different You can't do the same things that you used to, but it takes time to learn how to not do those things. So it's okay, try things out, figure it out. And if you need my help, I will help you. 100%, I think, I mean, I can relate to that experience to some degree, like from my jump to AAA to junior, like in AAA, um, you know, I was was really small. Like my last year of AAA, I was like 5'2", like 130 pounds. 
um, but could still play. And I was a goal scorer. I had a shit ton of ice time, ton of points. And then I made the jump to junior. And I was one of the youngest kids on the team, probably the smallest kid in the league. And I went from being on all the special teams, being on the first line, starting every game to being a fourth liner. And I didn't have that same attention. And I didn't get the attention from the coach or the other players that I was used to. And it felt like shit. And there was no, from a culture perspective in the room, there was nothing being said like, oh, it's it's okay. Like you've just you've got a new role now. This role is equally as important as the role that you used to have. It just looks a little bit different. And instead I looked at that as a failure. And, you know, I did end up embracing a bit of a different role. I just became a shithead because I was frustrated. <laughs> so um, it made my whole junior hockey experience uh, pretty tough. And, uh, you know, I feel like I wasn't able to grow as much as an athlete grow as much as I wanted to as an athlete because I didn't have that perspective and that mindset that was required to break out of that fourth line kind of, you know, I'm just here to, you know, be a shithead and fight and chirp and do all that kind of stuff instead of, you know, focusing on actually progressing and getting better and contributing. I love that. It's funny, right? Like my, my coach, uh, I had a coach, he was this Hungarian guy and he used to say, he's like, He's like, I don't care if you head the ball in the net as long as you score. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> Better not miss then. <laughs> so, Cody, we got to wrap up here. But if, if anyone out there wants to connect with you, see what you're up to, where can they find you? I think the best place is just on Instagram. Uh, so my handle is at headfirstmovement. Um, just type it out. It's the word first, not the number. Uh, yeah, you can find me there. Shoot me a dart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throwing darts at the dartboard. I love it. So we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely put that in the podcast notes. If you're listening, you want to hit up Cody, see what he's up to. You can check him out there. For us, obviously, go and hit subscribe to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow lauren on instagram at lwilly17 and for me you can follow me on linkedin because i'm old and i don't use instagram and for everything else for for services also from lauren cody and myself you can go to elitehighperformance.com and find it all there so check those out Cody, this was fun. I, I kind of I wish we would have had another hour. I think we could have kept going. Oh yeah. But, but uh, I actually got to run to another talk, so uh, <laughs> we got to cut her cut her a little short. Thanks for joining us today. Amazing. Thanks for having me, guys. We'll have to do a round two sometime. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Get it in the books. Yeah. <laughs> no more five months in the making. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, guys. Well, good luck on your uh, talk, Rob. I'm sure you'll crush it, and, and Lauren, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Everybody, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you all next week.